You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. Well, friends, if you are in a similar weird space this morning as we watch news of violence continue to unfold, I have an Ignatian prayer to offer. I have no words that would be of help. Uh, And I'll be honest, these words have not been that helpful uh, as the helplessness that we experience as we watch people slaughtered continues to grow. That said, it's all I know how to do right now. So I invite you to pray with me. Oh, loving God, we so often and for so long hear the guns and rockets, drones and bombs. We see the pictures of death and torture all around our world and especially in the Gaza Strip. In so many parts of the world today, the air is tense with waiting, uncertainty, insecurity, fear, and grief. From ravaged lands destroyed by war, your peoples lift their hands to you. We pray for stillness, for justice, and for peace to come and to last. We fear that they will not. God, our maker, God of Abraham and Sarah, from which three great religions stemmed, we pray for a cessation of violence. We pray for effective international intervention to ensure justice for all sides. We pray for humanitarian aid and rebuilding where destruction has occurred. We pray for peace and for justice in our homes and on our city streets. We pray for an end to violence, war, and death. Grant us this, God of peace. Amen. I'm going to take a minute. Well, not that it helps, but there are so many big questions in this text today. More uncertainty, more feelings of unsettledness. I don't even know quite where to begin. Why a calf? Why not an alpaca? Alpacas are very cute. Where did Aaron get the mold to make the calf? Seems like a weird thing to bring into the wilderness. Why does God call the Israelite Moses' people? Why does God seem a little like a toddler having a big old tantrum? I love talking about this passage. It is a relatively well-known story, even if it's by reputation alone. If you've ever heard someone use the expression sacred cow, They are either referring to Hinduism or they are referencing the golden calf incident. Many, many things in scripture leave me wildly confused about God's nature and the way God functions relative to humanity. And of those many, many things, this little interaction between Moses and God might top the chart. And if I don't understand it, I'm wondering if there's someone else who might be in this room hearing this text thinking, yeah, no, 
I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. Because nothing feeds the God's plan versus free will debate more than Moses somehow talking God into changing their mind. Apparently, God was set on allowing wrath to burn hot against the Israelites so that God might consume them. Kind of an unpleasant uh, visual image there. Thereby effectively starting things over with Moses as the guy. But Moses, who somehow is the rational one in this relationship, was like, oh no, God. What would the people who enslaved your people think? You wouldn't like it if they stopped being like super afraid of you, would you? And, and, and what about that time you asked Abraham to pretend to kill his son? You wouldn't want that to be for nothing, would you? And then God was like, okay, you're right. It's my bad and I, I won't do it again, I promise. Please, please, anybody, literally anybody, make it make sense. Make this make sense. And apart from how ludicrous all of this sounds, it actually does speak to a much broader question, one that you have probably had. Can we influence the mind of God? Do our prayers and petitions, does our communication actually impact what God does and does not do? I have hung on to this story as a proof text that my prayers matter when I didn't feel like they did. I have felt compelled to explain away or justify why my prayers didn't come to be the way I wanted them to. But when I'm feeling brave and I am willing to come face to face with my own need for certainty and my lack of certainty, when my deep desire to be heard by the one who made me rears its head, just brings up more questions. If I can influence God on my behalf or on behalf of others, does God have any power in the world at all? Is there any sort of overarching plan? Does purpose weave together or does it not? Or on the flip side, if my prayers don't impact God and I'm talking to my ceiling, if there is no big plan, why do I even bother? When do my prayers matter? Is there a magic number? If so, do you know it? Will you tell me? Do I have to pray three times? Seven times? Never six times. Is it three times a day for 33 days or 33 months? And yes, three is my favorite number, if you can't tell. Why do we have favorite numbers? Is that when I get bumped to the front of the line, when that is praying without ceasing, that's when it counts? And yes, I understand that this makes me sound very transactional and very shallow. I'm okay with that. I wish I could say that I love communing with God because it brings great peace and purpose. And that is enough for me. I so want to have the soul and heart of a mystic. That side of me has grown and developed over time as I have found peace in a lack of clarity. 
but you will not catch me on an extended silent retreat anytime soon. (laughs) Sure, I've had times in my faith journey where sitting with an awareness of God's presence has been exactly what I needed, what I longed for. But those days, they seem to come a little bit easier before I started asking hard questions, questions of myself and of my faith and of my God. So here we sit, you, me, the Israelites, a little gold statue, a wrathful question mark God, and the one who saved his people against said wrathful question mark God, Oh, and don't forget sitting with us, the mountain of unanswered questions. So here we go. I would like to start by saying, of course, the Israelites made a statue and worshiped it. Kind of a hot take in a church, I realize. Uh, But I'll say it again, of course they did. They were enslaved by people who practiced polytheistic religion, This whole, I am the Lord, singular, your God, was wildly new. And now it looked like this one and only God just dipped and potentially took their core leader along for the ride. People talk about how weak and acquiescent Aaron is. Why did he give in? Why didn't he stand for the Lord? Why would he? This invisible God that he barely knew, who he couldn't see, as opposed to the calf, the highest sacred animal in all of Egypt, Hathor, the cow goddess, who represented provision, motherly warmth, presence, success, fertility, all the things the Israelites were utterly bereft of under their enslavement. Of course, Aaron made a cow. The key for me is in verse six, they rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. They did not know much about this God the God who was still revealing themselves to the Israelites. But here's what they knew, or at least what they believed. God had freed them, massacred their enemies, took them to places where they didn't have food or water or permanence, and then took their leader up a mountain to a scene that is described thusly earlier in Exodus. Then Moses went up on the mountains and the cloud covered the mountain The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the Israelites. Sounds pretty chill. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was there for 40 days. And 40 nights, I am surprised, quite frankly, that the Israelites waited that long to take matters into their own hands. They are much more patient than I would have been. So God sees this, knows all of this, 
knows their actions and their intentions, and responds, your people, that is Moses' people, not God's people all of a sudden, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, again, not Moses, but uh, Moses, not God, have acted perversely. I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. I would have made a cow too. I just have this vision of God saying, I need to be in my cone of silence. I need to go to my mind palace. I need to be in my fortress of solitude. (laughs) Kind of like when a child starts acting up and one of the parents looks at the other and says, do you know what your kid did today? Why is it my kid when they're acting up, but it's your kid when they're getting an award at school? Was God bent on the total eradication of the Israelites and Moses happened to stroke God's ego enough that God thought, meh, I guess I'll let them live. Or is there something more for us to see in this? So let me ask you, have you ever had a dream come true? That perfect moment when the stars align and the hard work pays off and the sea parts, sea parts, I'll be here all week. <clears throat> Finally, the thing that you have agonized over, cried over, prayed and pleaded and begged for is in your life and it's everything you hoped it would be. And somehow, at the same time, it isn't. It is everything you ever wanted and it is painful and hard and kind of disappointing and just straight up not how you imagined it would be. Well, if you don't know Moses' story, I highly recommend the 1998 cinematic masterpiece, The Prince of Egypt. It slaps, I'll be honest. In the meantime, here's the Cliff's Notes. Moses was born to Hebrew parents from the priestly line. His people were enslaved and their population was expanding too rapidly for their enslavers' comfort. So their Egyptian overlord commanded all midwives to throw any male baby born to a Hebrew woman into the Nile. The Hebrew midwives defied the order time and time again. And because of their strength, Moses lived. His mother placed him in a basket and put him in the reeds off of the banks of the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter had happened to come down to bathe. She found him, decided to take him home and raise him as her own, which is kind of a cool flex. And Moses grew up as the son of two different worlds. I can imagine how torn and ungrounded he felt. Is he Egyptian royalty or is he a Hebrew slave? Why him? Why did he get to live while countless others did not? So God met and appointed Moses to lead the emancipation of the Hebrew people as is God's nature and allowed Aaron, Moses' brother, to operate as spokesman and priest. Again, seriously, watch The Prince of Egypt. I don't know why it goes so hard, but the music and the costumes, beautiful. 
I wonder if the conversation between God and Moses has less to do with Moses convincing God to relent and more to do with God showing Moses what he really has the capacity within himself to do. I wonder if instead of Moses uh, changing God's mind with his very short, very uneloquent conversation, God was revealing something special inside of Moses that he in fact was the right people, right person to lead his people. You can imagine being born of two worlds, Moses would call himself into question. I know his people called him into question. Moses genuinely cared about his people. He belonged to and with his people and would risk his own life to advocate for the well-being of his people. Moses had seen more than anyone else what God was capable of and yet found his voice long and strong enough to challenge God's wrath. Moses had his dream come true. He had done the excruciating work of prying his people out of Pharaoh's grip. He was the leader of a free nation, the leader of the people to whom he was born. And at every single turn, they were complaining about him and accusing him of torturing them and threatening to kill him. Talk about a case of things not ending up how you imagine. But when push came to shove, Moses defended his people to his God, even though he was often their enemy number one. The resilience Moses would need to lead his people and to lead them well, to love them and stand by them was inside of him. And now, unequivocally, Moses knew it. You know what else he knew? He knew that when he spoke, God not only heard him, but God responded to him. God relented and we can go back and forth about the degree of seriousness with which God intended to consume the Israelites with wrath. But after this, Moses knew that when he spoke, it mattered. It mattered to God the one who made and knew and commissioned him. We're not gonna solve the mysteries of prayer together this morning. That would be dope. It's not gonna happen. But for me, this passage doesn't serve as a proof text anymore. I don't have to point to it when I wonder if what I say matters because it serves as a pattern Somehow, when we have words or thoughts or emotions to bring, they matter to God. And somehow what we say to God matters to ourselves. It is formative. It is important. It reveals what is inside of us. It gives us access to depth and vulnerability, places that we are not always willing to go the work that we do as followers of Christ 
the justice work, the advocacy, the railing against systems of oppression that are hell-bent on destroying the well-being and flourishing of marginalized people among us, it is tiring and hard. And so many times we are doing that work and we're in the midst of it and we are thinking, this is our dream come true. Do I have what it takes to keep going? Maybe God showed Moses what he was capable of so that we can wake up to what we are capable of too. UBC, may we find the courage to speak to God even on the days when we are not capable of calling it prayer. May we allow the spirit to show us what we are made of, even if the purpose seems too big or too elusive or too tiring to grasp. May we show ourselves compassion when we mold the metal of our lives into a shape that formed a place in us that we no longer live. And may we allow the invitation of God to gently draw us back to center. Amen. This time we get to practice the gift of silence together. We invite the spirit to come and form and shape us. Correct something I may have said incorrectly to reveal God's love for each of us today.